Hallelujah. I am uh, very, very excited about what the Lord is doing in our nation right now. I'm very excited about Florida's role in what the Lord is calling us to. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, lay a little bit of a foundation, then we're going to talk about the hour that we're in right now. Um, we have been talking a little bit about the watchmen. And what we have to understand is that we've been, we've been called to watch, to watch over our land, to watch over our territory, to watch over our families. Um, when it says be sober, be vigilant, uh, that word vigilant literally means to, to walk watching. So we've got to know, understand that we're in a season right now that God's calling us to walk watching. We've got to have our eyes open. And that's why we've got to really uh, allow ourselves to kind of get free from the cares of this world, get free from the things that are pressing in on us to try to get us off focus, okay? And, and that God has really called us to be the watchman that he's looking for to arise in the land. Um, years ago now, our, our ministry has now been in Florida 35 years this year. And I've probably told you a little bit of the story. How many have ever been up to CI? Oh, good, good bunch of you. Many times, yes. Several of you many times. I, I know your faces. Um, you know, we, we moved there um, when there was pretty much nothing between Panama City and Fort Walton Beach. <laughs> when did y'all come up? Were y'all up in the early days? Yeah, Panama City. Okay, you were from, yeah. So there was nothing between Panama City and Fort Walton Beach. Um, if you're from that area, we were there before there was a back beach road in Destin. Um, we were there when there was pretty much just pine trees and white sand beaches. But I will tell you, um, we weren't there long before we actually began to find out that it wasn't just pine trees and white sand beaches, but in the entire area surrounding us for about a 15-mile radius, we found out that the other thing that was there was an entrenched spirit of a cult and witchcraft. We, had, we were there about a year when all of a sudden we started realizing that we had Satanists that were crucifying animals and making sacrifices in our area. We had witches' covens that met on the beach. We had psychic healers and psychic gurus. We had um, pagans, like they call themselves pagans, and they build pagan altars. We had uh, Santeria voodoo cults. I mean, if you were to have driven down Highway 98, you'd have thought, pine trees and beaches, that's it. But we weren't there long when we suddenly discovered that we were actually surrounded by the occult. And the Lord took this little pioneering prophetic ministry, dropped us into a land that was overrun by the spirit of witchcraft, and basically said, fight or die. I don't know if that was really the word, but that's what it felt like. <laughs> and, and so we, you know, we had to start engaging. Now, you, we engage. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But we do wrestle against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And so we began to engage in prayer. Uh, during that time, there was a, a young prophet that had just come to America um, from South Africa, and he was in one of our meetings, 
And he called me out from the back. I had little children all hanging around my legs. I had three children under the age of three and a half. Yes, just think about the math on that one, yes. Um, and, uh, and he called me out and he called me forward and he said, the Lord says that he's called you to be a watchman for this ministry. I didn't even know what that really was. We're talking about, you know, the, the, the mid-1980s. And he said, the Lord says that he's called you to be a watchman and he's called you to see the snake and to see the wolf. I think tomorrow I'll, I'll, I'll unload some things that will help you in your, in your watchman call so that you don't blow up. Because I feel like there's been a lot of watchmen that because of such intense discernment and not knowing what to do with what they see, they've either shut the gift down or they ended up doing something else wrong with what they saw. Y'all know what I'm saying? So I've, I've actually just gotten done writing a book on this. It's going to be um, out this fall. It's called Discernment, how to handle, you know, what to, what to do with what you see. But, the, but you know, what I, one of the things that I had to learn is that the Lord said, I've called you to see the snake and see the wolf. He, he had to later remind me and say to me, I didn't call you to kill the snake and kill the wolf. I wanted to kill everybody and tell God they died. I mean, okay, I mean, I don't know what God was thinking to make us pastors of a church, okay? I'm kind of right there with Pastor Ken about counseling. Um, I, I want the pillow that says, suck it up, buttercup, okay? Or a different pillow that says, just get over it, okay? Uh, that's my, my, my pastoral counseling gift right there. My husband's very, very mercy motivated, very, very merciful. He's an apostle, but he's very merciful. And, uh, yeah, and I just want to kill people, okay? So um, God had to really work grace in my life, um, so uh, if, if any of you relate to that, be sure to be here tomorrow morning, okay? And we're going to unpack some of that. Um, but when, when we started engaging in doing spiritual warfare um, back in the mid-1980s, late 1980s, early 1990s, there weren't books written on spiritual warfare. But suddenly, we started having things happen like, uh, decapitated animals were thrown on our doorsteps of our homes, of our church. There was sacrificial blood spilled around our property. There were curses written on our buildings. You know what? I, I, it freaked me out. I'm just going to be really honest. Y'all look at me like, oh, no, we're tough. That wouldn't have freaked me out. No, no, no. I was like running to my Bible college books going, where did they cover this in class? <laughs> and you know what? I had, I had to get a revelation about the land that we were called to. And I had to get a revelation that one drop of the blood of Jesus was more powerful than any blood curse or blood oath that the enemy could spill out against us, okay? Now, we've come a long way as a church in understanding prayer, understanding authority, understanding how to go into a land and to begin to take ownership of the land and to begin to extend the kingdom authority that God has given to us in the land. We prayer walked. We made decrees. We blew shofars. We did prophetic acts. We did all the things. And eventually, over the process of time, we started seeing that spirit of witchcraft break off of our territory. And one at a time, these groups began to move out and go other way, other places, okay? They would either shut down or they would go other places. And we started seeing how when we actually engaged that we established air superiority over our area to where their witchcraft could no longer work. See, we have to, we have to know who we are. 
And so as we began to drive out the spirit of witchcraft, then the second thing that we had to deal with was an entrenched spirit of poverty. Because where we lived had a very, very deep-seated spirit of poverty that was rooted and partnered with witchcraft. Poverty and witchcraft often go hand in hand. And it was in the year 2000 that I, uh, that I was in our, our war room walking back and forth across the floor, and I was saying, God, why aren't we seeing this breaking? Why are we not? We prophesy about a transfer of wealth. We prophesy about prosperity. We hear prophets come in, and they give us prophetic words. And Chuck had actually been there in uh, 1997, and we've walked with Chuck for a long time, Chuck and Dutch. I actually knew Dutch back when he was a worship leader at Christ for the Nations. Shh, don't tell him I told you that. He tells me not to tell people, okay? He was actually the worship leader at Christ for the Nations when I was in school a long time ago. That's right. But Chuck came in, and in 1997, he said, in three and a half years, the Lord says he's going to give you uh, the, the, the power to unlock the wealth and the destiny of your area. The wealth and the destiny of your area. Because it was pretty clear that, that, that the land was locked up. And so I was walking back and forth in our war room, and I was just saying, God, why are we not seeing this thing break? Why are we not seeing wealth come in. Why, people are building houses. They're going into foreclosure. People are opening businesses. They're shutting down in bankruptcy. Why aren't we seeing this get, get broken? And the Lord spoke to me, and he just gave me a scripture verse. He said, because of Isaiah 65, 11. Isaiah 65, 11, which says, you are those who have forsaken my holy mountain. Holy mountain is always a, a reference to prayer. You are those who have forsaken my holy mountain. You have prepared a table for Gad, G-A-D, not the tribe of Gad. I'll explain it in just a minute. You've prepared a table for Gad, and you have poured out a drink offering for many, M-E-N-I. Gad and many. So I'm saying, God, why are we not seeing the breakthrough, the, 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 the release of wealth, the release of destiny over our territory? Why are we not seeing that? And God says, because of Gad and many. And so I started doing research on that, and I found that Gad and many were both Babylonian gods, Babylonian, Babylonian god and goddesses. And Gad was the god that controlled the distribution of wealth, and many, M-E-N-I, was the goddess of destiny. And they locked up the destiny of a territory by locking up the wealth of a territory. I want you to think about this because we warred about this in the panhandle, but I believe it's time to see the breakthrough that we experienced up there extended and expanded to the entire state of Florida. This is something the Lord gave me. I write about it in my Cyrus Decree book if you want to pick it up and get more information on it. And I'm not, I'm, this is not just the main focus of what I'm doing, but I, but I felt this morning to just encourage you to understand the dominion that we have and to see this dominion extended. So I got up and I preached 
on this on a Sunday morning. And while I preached, our sound system blew up. So literally, the first time I preached this, we don't have this. Don't worry, I've just prayed over the sound system, okay? Because the first three churches that I preached that in, the first three churches, I'm a prophet, but I'm a little slow. The sound system blew up when I preached it. I know, we've already prayed. Yes, we've already covered it. I learned my lesson. How many know that the devil was, he was ticked. And so, when I preached it and I declared it, over the next several weeks, people that had been struggling financially started seeing the wealth unlock. They started getting jobs. They started getting contracts. They started selling property. They started things that were locked up financially. Because how many of you feel like, feel like there's been a time where you feel like, God, I'm ready to do what you want me to do as soon as the money gets released? I want to tell you something. That's not usually how it works. Usually you start moving forward in what God says, and then the money gets released along the way. I'm just going to tell you how it works, okay? But see, we started seeing that individually, the individual breakthroughs come over the, over the people, and we started seeing unlocking happen over several months. And then several months into this, the Lord reminded me and said, read that prophecy that Chuck gave. In three and a half years, and I'm looking at the calendar, and I'm going, we are now at the three and a half year mark. The Lord says, I'm going to give you the revelation that will unlock the wealth and destiny, Gad and many, of your territory. So we called our church to fast and pray. We didn't just fast and pray. We made decrees. We prophesied. We began to extend it out throughout our county, which was our sphere of authority, our sphere of influence, and I want you to know that we broke something in the spirit so that within the next 18 months, we went from being one of the poorest counties in the state of Florida to 18 months later, the beginning of 2003, we were listed as the number one most uh, rapidly growing, most prosperous real estate market in the entire continental United States. Now, we had been there for years. We'd been there for almost 20 years, and we'd been contending, we'd been warring, and as God began to drop keys into our hearts, God gave us keys for our deliverance. God gave us keys for our freedom, and we began to see poverty give way to wealth. And we literally saw transformation. How many have ever been to 30A, Seaside, Watercolor, Rosemary, uh, Alice Beach? We are now a place where the wealthy come to build homes. Whereas before, we were a, a place of poverty. I will tell you, though, seven years later, 2007, seven years from this revelation, we had found that we had exchanged the spirit of poverty for the spirit of greed, which are actually flip sides of the same coin. And because we had had such an amazing breakthrough, we were not watching over our breakthrough. And greed came in. And how many remember the real, the, the, the real estate collapse, mostly that happened in 2008? 
the stock market crash that happened September of 2008. By the time that happened, we had been in complete meltdown for 18 months. Why? Because the spirit of greed had come in. And suddenly, we found ourselves back in a cycle of poverty. Why do I share this? Because I want to say something, watchmen. We can't ever stop watching. How many know that when you get delivered personally of something, you've got to keep watching over that deliverance? If you've been delivered from addiction, how many understand you can't ever let down your guard and think that just a little bit won't hurt? You've constantly got to watch over that deliverance that you've had. It is the same way with our state. It is the same way with our territory because I believe that God wants to bring us into powerful breakthrough, but breakthrough, we have to understand, is not the end of a matter. Breakthrough is a new beginning. The definition of the word breakthrough, according to Webster's, is that it is a military movement or advance all the way through and beyond the enemy's frontline defense. Everybody say through and beyond. See, we made the mistake of thinking that our breakthrough was the end of the matter. Where in actuality, it was just the beginning. If you'll think about D-Day in World War II, we know that on D-Day, all the Allied troops landed on the beaches of Normandy and Omaha at great cost to American lives. And they broke through the enemy's frontline defense. But how many understand they did not then stick their rifles in the sand and have a party? Because their goal wasn't to break through on the beach. Their goal was to go through and beyond to start liberating cities and nations. And I think the church has had a mentality that when we break through, we put down our weapons and we start celebrating understand, and not understanding that our breakthrough is now the beginning of liberation of cities, territories, and nations. And that we've got to remain more watchful after a breakthrough than before. When we're pressing into something, we watch carefully. Come on. But then when we see the breakthrough happen, we celebrate as we should, but sometimes we let down our guard and we fail to watch. We do it in every election. We pray, we break through, and then we're like, okay, that's done. How many figured out this cycle it's not done? You know, I think some of the controversy is just to keep the church praying. Seriously. Because we do it every single election. And so I believe that God wants to wake us up. God wants to, to wake up the watchman. I, I want to pray. Um, I want to pray just for this. I, I haven't preached on Gad in many for a lot of years, but I just felt like this morning I, I, we wanted to see the extension. Now, we have fully recovered in the panhandle. Our, our area has fully recovered from economic downturn, but I believe that the enemy has continued to lock up wealth and lock up destiny in this state. There's lots of wealth in this state, let's be honest. There's lots of wealth, but here's what Gad means. It means the God that controls the distribution of wealth. 
not just the God of wealth, it's a God that controls the distribution of wealth. How many believe that there needs to be kingdom financing in order to truly accomplish what needs to happen? How many of you honestly feel like your forward movement has been locked up because finances have been locked up? Okay. All right. So I, I want, we're going to just stand and we're just going to break the power of this thing. You can learn more about my book was written 19, 20 years ago, The Cyber's Decree. So it doesn't have the full story in it, but, um, but it does have the keys to understanding how these demonic things operate. And so I want us just to lift up our hands and I'm going to just, we're just going to pray, okay? Pray in the Holy Spirit with me, all right? Father, I thank you, God, that you have given us the authority. Lord, you said, God, that, that when we forsake the holy mountain of prayer, God, when we stop watching and praying, then Gad and many come in and lock up wealth and lock up destiny. But Father, we are here assembled as watchmen, declaring, God, that you have given this you have given this land to us. This is, Florida is our land. Florida is our territory. Therefore, Father God, Lord, we repent of all the things that have been in the land, Father God, that have aligned with poverty, that have aligned with greed, that have aligned, Father God, with ungodly uh, alliances concerning wealth, concerning destiny. Father, we just decree right now, Father God, that you're waking up the watchmen in every city. You're waking up the watchmen in every area. And God, you're going to show us, Father, in the Spirit how to go in and unlock the wealth and unlock the destiny so that Florida could be the forerunner state that you've called us to be, Father God, and a launching point, Father, that will touch the, not just this nation, but the nations of the world. And Father God, for any that are here today that feel like perhaps they've been under the constriction and the constraint of these things, Father, we break the power of God and many right now in the name of Jesus, and we declare, Father God, keys to the kingdom that are going to cause us to unlock in this season and in this day. In Jesus' name. Now, can we just release a shout of deliverance, a shout of praise? And the Lord says, even the stronghold that has been even over this satellite beach area and over the Palm Coast that when you drive through, you think their best days were behind them. Father, we just decree right now, God, that the best days are yet ahead. Father, we thank you, God, that there is going to be financial, uh, uh, financial things that are going to flood into this area, new companies, new corporations, new uh, wealth-driven projects, Father God, Lord, that are going to come into this Space Coast region, God, as a sign, Father God, of what you're doing in the rest of the state. And we decree, Father God, that the wealth that has been in this region, Father God, that has been locked up, we declare today, Father God, that there is a divine unlocking that is taking place, Father God, Lord, a divine unlocking over this region. Lord, we know Orlando's got the money. We know South Florida's got some money. God, we know that there's lots of money in this state. But Father God, there has been a purposeful demonic locking up over this Space Coast region. And Father, today, God, we stand as your watchmen and we declare right now, Father God, that you are unlocking the wealth so that you can unlock the destiny of this territory in the mighty name of Jesus. I want you to give the Lord one more shout of praise. Thank you, Lord.
Go ahead and be seated. You know, I just, as, as we're praying for that, just understand that there's new wealth avenues that God is bringing into this, into this area. I found one of the, the best ways to get a transference of wealth is to get the wealthy saved. Okay? So that had nothing to do with what I was going to cover in my notes, but I just felt like that was something. I want to give you a couple scriptures about the watchman, and then we're going to talk about the time. Let's look at Daniel 4.17. I, I prayed this earlier, but I want you to hear this, this verse that is actually spoken uh, by King Nebuchadnezzar of all people. He was a, a secular heathen ruler that had had an encounter with God, and after several dreams and the processes and the dealings of God in his life, Nebuchadnezzar, this vile pagan that destroyed Jerusalem, he stands up and he says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. Come on, never think that somebody is too hard of a case that God can't turn their heart. And he makes this statement. He says, this decision is by the decree of the watchers. This phrase, watchers, is not the watchman phrase that we've been talking about, shamar, but it, it refers to both human and angelic watchers. It literally means um, wakeful or watchful ones. But it makes this very clear statement, the decision is by the decree of the watchers. And so sometimes we find ourselves waiting on God. And we need to hear the words of John G. Lake where he said, a lot of people, he said, there's a lot of people that are waiting on God, but God is waiting on us. He says, if God doesn't move me, then I move the Spirit. And we need to understand that we're in a season right now where God is waking up the watchman. He is waking us up so that we can begin to make decrees because the decision over our state does not rest in our capital. It does not rest with our governor or our legislators. My Bible says the decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. What a revelation. What a revelation. And so what we have to understand is that God has put decision-making legislative authority within our hands. In Isaiah chapter 62, verse 6, Isaiah 62, verse 6, it says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed Watchmen, can we say it this way? On your walls, O Florida, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night, they will never keep silent. Listen to how God describes who the watch, what the watchmen do. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves. Our job as watchmen is to watch into the distance to see that which God is doing, but it is also to remind the Lord. Now, let me just ask you a question. Does God need reminding? No, he doesn't. 
it literally says he's the one that watches over his word to perform it. But as watchmen, what we're doing is we're reminding the Lord. We're keeping the atmosphere saturated with the word. We're speaking what God has said. We're decreeing what God has said. A lot of people say, where do you, de- where do you develop what to decree? Because Job 22, 28 says, you shall decree a thing, and it shall be established for you, so light will shine on your way. So how do you develop a decree? That's easy. You listen to what the prophetic word has said, and out of what God has prophesied, you begin to develop a decree that you can begin to speak out of your mouth. What we have to understand is that the devil knows how to make decrees too. When we were contending for our land, we actually found in our county record books that our little strip of land in South Walton County, in our county record books, has been called, for generations, called Poor Man's Island. How many know the devil knows how to make decrees too? So sometimes what we've got to do is we've got to get in there, find out what the enemy has decreed, and we've got to say the opposite Because let me just say, God is the author of the decree. All the devil can do is counterfeit or imitate or give a counter decree. So if the enemy is decreeing poor man's island, how many know that is only because God first decreed that we were to be a land of wealth? Do you see how this works? So if the enemy has decreed something over your region, what you have to do is you have to learn to flip it so that you can understand what God first decreed. You who remind the Lord, we've got to remind the Lord what he's spoken. God, you said in three and a half years, you would give us the keys to break open the wealth and destiny. So we started making different decrees, a land of wealth, a land of destiny. Come on, a land of prosperity, a land of kingdom advancement. Instead of locked up, God, we are coming in to freedom, to liberation. We have to decree what God has decreed. And so we have to understand that that's the season that we're in. And God's anointing the watchmen to watch, to watch over the word, to make the decrees that by the decrees of the watchers, the decisions are beginning to be made. So we have to determine what is God deciding. Now, um, I want to talk a little bit about the time that we're in because I mentioned last night about being um, in uh, the Issachar season of understanding the times and the seasons. Do you realize that, of course, we're in the, the, the Hebraic year, 5779, the year of Ayin Tet. I'm sure you've heard this from Chuck, right? Have you heard this from Chuck? Ayin, speaking of the I, Tet, meaning... Um, a time of birthing, okay? And so when you when they draw the, the, the number nine or they write the number nine, it literally, they say, is a picture of a, of a pregnant woman that's getting ready to give birth. And so that's why we say this is a birthing season. That's why I think God is really emphasizing the birthing of, of the, the watchman movement in the land because God's got to get us ready before we come into 2020, 2020 is a key year, but let me say we got to get this thing birthed this year so that we're ready for what's coming next year. There's an urgency that's in the spirit. We're also in the year 2019, so I want to focus for just a minute on the number nine. In the scripture, the number nine is an indicator of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. 
There were nine fruit of the Spirit, nine gifts of the Spirit. So God is saying, I want to manifest my Holy Spirit in this birthing season in a whole new way. The number nine is also um, an indicator of the end of a cycle. Uh, we have seven grandkids, and I've always loved whenever they've gone through learning how to count, um, how they count. They go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We're in nine. Come on, do you hear the expectation? Do you hear the anticipation? Do you hear the shift? Nine, ten. We have, for the last decade, we've been in the decade of Ayin, which is the decade of the eye, the seer, the watchman, the ones that are able to see into that cycle. And I forget the, the name of the next, the next year, the next 10 years, but it's no longer just the decade of the eye. Now it's the decade of the mouth. We're coming into the decade of the mouth because we have to understand that thinking it in your heart is not prophecy. Thinking it in your heart is not a decree. It's not a decree until you let it out of your mouth. It's not a prophecy until you let it out of your mouth. Psalms 29 verse 4 says, The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is koach, K-O-A-K-H. Literally in the Hebrew, that is the word force. The voice of the Lord is a force. Listen, watchmen, prophets, we're going to have to learn to stop treating prophecy like it's information. Prophecy is not just information. Prophecy brings an impartation of the Spirit of God that begins to shift things in the Spirit because it is a force that moves immovable forces. When we prophesy, something happens in the spirit beyond just what our ears hear. And yet for, for decades, we have treated prophecy like information. No, 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 no. The voice of the Lord is a force. It strips the forest bare. It shakes things. It moves things. If you want to see breakthrough, prophesy. That's why God's not just saying, I want to raise up apostolic watchmen. He's saying, I need to raise up prophetic watchmen. It's both, but we need to understand that we've got to release the voice of God. It's got to be that which is both apostolic governmentally and prophetic, because when we release things prophetically, it has the power to shift. The voice of the Lord is a force. I saw this really demonstrated. We go in, um, we spend four weeks a year going in and prophesying over these young, uh, these young girls that are in a place called Mercy Ministries. And these are girls that have had very, very broken lives. They've had issues with abuse, addiction. Um, some of them have been trafficked, a lot of these kinds of things. And see, the voice of the Lord is a force. It goes in there beyond the words, and it begins to untangle and set them free of things that have bound them up their whole lives. And a couple years ago, we prophesied over this young lady, 
And throughout the word, God spoke to her about the pain of her past, talked about her current process, and then God started speaking about her future. And at no point during the prophecy did God emphasize or speak to, nor did we pray for anything that was physical in her body. But while we prophesied to her, an ear that had been born deaf opened up. You know why? Because the voice of the Lord is a force. So we need to go past this place where we think our words are just informing. And we need to go into a place where we understand Isaiah 30, 31, the voice of the Lord will shatter the enemy. Come on, if you're praying, if you're watching, then you need to start prophesying. And you prophesy what God is saying, you prophesy and you watch over the word, but you release it because the voice of the Lord, when you speak it out, it has the power to destroy darkness. And we've got to understand that's the, that's the power that God has put into our hands. Now, as I began to study out this number nine, I studied it in Scripture, and I realized that the Scripture actually makes reference on several occasions to something that is called the ninth hour of prayer. The ninth hour of prayer. And it's called the ninth hour throughout the, the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was called the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, on the clock, that's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But I want to show you several significant things that happened in the ninth hour of prayer so that hopefully you'll understand why there's an urgency in the Spirit for us to move into this watchman prophet anointing so that we will be ready to uh, cause heaven and earth to come together in this next season because I believe that God's got us in that birthing season of anointing so that we're ready for everything that is, that is at hand. And so it was the time of the evening sacrifice. It's the time to get business done with God. So let's just look at Scripture just for a few minutes, and I want to give you several examples of some things that happen during the ninth hour of prayer. Number one, it's the time when heaven answers by fire. We see this in the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, 1 Kings 18 and 19. Jezebel and Ahab were ruling. In the land at the time, remember the prophet prophesied and shut up the heavens for a time, three and a half years. And then it came down to the showdown on Mount Carmel. You should all know this story. I hope I don't have to go and read the scriptures. But Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal. We are in a literal confrontation right now with prophets of Baal. And Elijah said, we're going we're gonna to have a showdown today, and we'll see who is God. And so he gave the prophets of Baal their first shot. And the prophets of Baal cut up their bull, <laughs> laid them on, the off, laid them on a, a, an altar, and then they began chanting. They began cutting themselves. See, you know this, this thing that's going on with the young people today where they're cutting themselves? That's Baal worship. Okay? They began cutting themselves and crying out to their God. And Elijah, after nine hours of that, Elijah goes, where's your God? Is he deaf? Is he in the bathroom? Actually, when you read the literal translation, it means is your dog, has your God gone off and gone to the bathroom? <laughs> He's mocking them. Because after nine hours of this nonsense... 
Elijah said, now we're going to see who really is God. And I believe that we're at that place right now where we're going to see who's really God. And it says, at the time of the evening sacrifice, which we know from the New Testament refers to the ninth hour, it says that Elijah, Elijah said, enough is enough. And he begins to prepare the sacrifice to the one true God. Remember what he did? He laid out the sacrifice, and then he had them pour water over it three different times until it filled up the trench. Now, understand this. He had them prepare a bull in a time of famine, and he had them drench it in water in a time of drought. How many understand that God's requiring some things of us in this season? And I don't have time to preach on this, so I just have to, like, bind myself in Jesus' name, okay? Because I love to preach on the story. But we know that what happened at the ninth hour is that fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and licked up all the water. Do you know that heaven pays attention when we decree? I mean, it really actually pays attention. If we actually really believed that heaven hears us, do you think we would be more diligent in speaking what God desired, needs to do in the earth? Do you think that we would be more, if we really believe that God, that heaven hears us? Do we have people here from Daytona? Daytona Beach? I'll tell you a story that happened. This would have been probably in the late 90s. Um, I was speaking at a conference down in Daytona Beach, one of our churches there, uh, Pastors Rodney and Kathy Tollison, and we were doing a large women's conference uh, right down in a hotel on the beach, and I brought this team of intercessors with me, just filled up a van and brought this team of intercessors down. And at that time, Daytona Beach was one of the, the main capitals of spring break um, during the spring. All kinds of crazy stuff was going on. And we went down there right in the middle of that time and did this conference. And on the way down, the Lord started speaking to us about a stronghold that was over that city at the time that was holding the city captive that that was rooted in the Phoenician god, Ra, the sun god. We'd never, I'd never been to Daytona, but that the Lord wanted to open the gate over the city and destroy the power of these spirits that had held the city in captivity. And so we got to the hotel. We had a, went up to my room. We had a time of prayer. And then um, my team said, we're going to go out and we're going to walk because we noticed as we came into Daytona that it had all these gates had gates on the beach, and as you came into the city, there was this entry gate that had these ugly gargoyles that sat on top of the gate. How many remember the gargoyles? Anybody remember the gargoyles? How many know they're not there anymore? I'm going to show you why, because heaven listens. Heaven answers. So we came in. I was, I was incensed that those gargoyles were sitting on the gate of the city. And so I get up in my room. We're praying. My team says, we're going to go down. We're going to walk the beach. There's some gates on the beach. We're going to go pray over those gates. And so while they were off praying, I was in my room by myself, and I'm just walking back and forth, and I'm saying, God, I thank you, God, that you're getting ready to open this city up. You're getting ready to set this city free. You're getting ready to do some things, Father. You're going to overthrow some things that have been in place for a long time. And, Lord, you're going to take down whatever this ruling spirit of raw is over this city, God. You're going to destroy its power so that the people can be set free. And that's, why, that's how I'm praying, interceding back and forth in my room. And as I'm praying about this, I look over, and I had this brand-new purse that somebody had given to me. And the clasp on the purse was a giant sun. 
Now, understand there was not a demon in my purse, okay? I'm really, I'm not saying that. But as I'm walking back and forth and just talking about to the Lord about the sun god, I see this image of a sun on my purse, and I get righteously indignant. And so I walk over, and I pull the clasp off my purse. Ruined my purse, <laughs> really. And I just start walking and making decrees as a prophetic act. Everybody say prophetic act. So I'm, I'm making this prophetic act, and then I walk over to my, to my um, balcony, and I stand there, and I said, I'm doing this as a prophetic act, declaring that the spirit of Ra that has been over this city is, and that has ruled over this city is coming down. And I threw this clasp, this golden sun, off my balcony as a prophetic act. So about 10 minutes later, my intercession team come, comes running up to my room. Pastor Jane, Pastor Jane, we were walking on the beach. And we were commanding the spirit of Ra to come down. When all of a sudden, out of the sky, fell this golden image of a sun god, and it landed right at our feet. I did not have the heart to tell them that I was the one that threw it at that point. Because they were so charged up with faith. It was actually years before I told them that I was the one that had thrown it. Thank God it didn't hit somebody in the head. I mean, I don't know what I was thinking. But that night, I got up and I began to prophesy about that structure that had been built over the city. And I prophesied a couple of things. I said, the Lord said, as a sign to you that I'm overthrowing the structures that have been in place. The Lord says, the gargoyles that have set at the gate of the city are going to be torn down. And also, the speedway is going to actually open its doors for some sort of Christian gathering for a day of worship. So, within about three months, somebody bought the property that those gargoyle gates set at. And the lady, I don't think it was even a Christian, but she said, you know what, those gargoyles have always irritated me. So one of her first acts of ownership was that she went in and she tore down those gargoyles that sat at the gate of the city. Understand this, they were not stone gargoyles, even though that's what they look like. They were made out of styrofoam. I want you to get that image in your head. Because sometimes we think we're, we're dealing with something that's like set in stone. And God says, no, 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 it's just styrofoam. It's easy to tear down when the word of the Lord goes forth. Within a few months, the owner of the speedway said, you know what? This city has done so much for us. I want to do something for the city and the people of this region. He said, let's just open. He'd never done anything like this before. He said, let's open the doors of the speedway. Let, let the churches come in. Let them bring their choirs. Let them bring their music. Let them, and let them just have like a Christian festival that day. See, it was a sign to the city. What happens? We begin to prophesy. And it's a force that begins to shatter things in the spirit. Now, was I prophesying what God had already decreed? I was speaking. I was decreeing the new thing. And I believe that in those prophetic seasons, God doesn't allow one of our words to fall to the ground. It's a time when heaven and earth 
come together. That's the time we're in, this ninth hour of prayer. It's like Elijah on Mount Carmel, that as he begins to speak, fire falls from heaven and change begins to take place. I want you to carry that with you because I want you to go back to your city. I want you to start looking and saying, what needs to change? What's been here, perhaps even for generations, that needs to shift? Because guess what? The only way it's going to shift is for the people of God to shift it. Come on, poverty would still be entrenched in our land. Poverty, uh, witchcraft would still be entrenched in our land, except we said, not in our land, not on our watch. And we've got to start getting that mentality, not in our land, not on our watch. And understand that as we decree things into the heavens, that heaven is moved. Number two, what else happens during the time the hour of prayer, or the time of the evening sacrifice. Well, in Ezra chapter 9, verse 4, it says that um, national repentance happens in that hour. Ezra had returned from captivity, and if you remember, the, the people of Israel started intermarrying with the people of the land and all their pagan cultures and all their pagan customs. And that had been forbidden by God. So Ezra began to cry out and pray to God. And the spirit of repentance fell in Ezra chapter 9 verse 4 at the hour of prayer. At the, at the time of the evening sacrifice, the ninth hour of prayer, suddenly massive revival started breaking out among Israel. Come on, did you hear the word that God is going to start causing massive revival? There is no revival without repentance, guys. The spirit of repentance falling is a big part of, the, uh, of this dynamic that God wants to bring in our land at this time. Number three, the time of angelic visitation is seen in the ninth hour or at the time of evening sacrifice. You can find this in Daniel chapter 1 when Daniel had received a vision from the Lord that troubled him. And he wrote it down. It was a dream from the Lord. He wrote it down. And it says that an angel came down and began to explain to him at the ninth hour what the, the dream meant. We see this again in Daniel chapter 10, that at the ninth hour or at the time of the evening sacrifice was the moment that the angel came down. We're in the ninth hour. We're in a timing of God right now that God's saying, I want to give uh, access like Jacob's ladder reaching up into heaven that angels ascend and descend upon. The Lord says that's the season of time that you're in right now. And the Lord says that I'm going to send angels to work with you, even as I've declared in Hebrews 1.14, that I'm going to give you angels that will assist you in bringing forth the kingdom and bringing forth your kingdom endeavors. Just like God sent it to Daniel, God's going to send angels to us to bring understanding. He's going to bring an anointing upon us in this season of time to have our eyes open, our ears open, to take us into a fresh prophetic dimension just like he did with Daniel. We don't just see this in the Old Testament. We actually see it in the New Testament as well. It says in Acts chapter 10 that there was a devout Roman centurion whose name was Cornelius. He wasn't even saved. But he was devout, seeking God, crying out, what must I do to be saved? And it says, in the ninth hour, God sent an angel down to Cornelius. Listen, angels are being sent to work with us in harvest 
to get people where they need to go, to make the divine connections. Because get this, the angels are not called to give them the message of salvation. The angels were sent to connect them to those who could bring them the message of salvation. So the angel shows up for Cornelius on the ninth hour, and he says, here's your strategy. Send for Peter. He'll tell you what to do. Can you see how angels are getting ready to invade not just us, but the world? Listen, I want you to have your expectation. One of my heart and my passion, one of the reasons that I wrote the book Dreams and Visions is because it's not just for us to hear the voice of God, but it's for us to be prepared like Daniel's and Joseph's for the days that are coming because God is getting ready to pour out his spirit on all flesh. How many know that's what Acts chapter 2, Joel 2 says, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. That doesn't say Christian flesh. It says all flesh. And the result is going to be his sons and daughters, that's us, will prophesy. But then it says young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams. We've got to understand that God is pouring out visions and dreams on people that don't even know him. If God could turn the heart of a Nebuchadnezzar because God put a Daniel next to him, how many think God could turn the heart of your family member? Because God gives them a dream. How many believe God could turn the heart of, uh, of, uh, of national leaders because God invades him and gives him a dream? Come on, that's the day that we're in. But the point is we've got to be equipped like Daniel and Joseph were to stand next to these that God is pouring out his spirit upon and say, you know what, that's a dream from God. Let me tell you what it means. Angels are going to start visiting unbelievers, and they're not going to know what in the world to do with it. And if we're not careful, the occultists will be there really, really, really quick to tell them exactly what that means. New agers will be there. Come on. All they're doing is counterfeiting the role that the church should be playing. The reason we had an explosion of psychics and new agers was because the church wasn't doing its job of being the place of revelation that the voice of God could be released. If you Google dreams and visions, you'll get 200 books out of new age camps about understanding dreams. You need to tap, tap in to the source of the Holy Spirit and understand what the Holy Spirit is saying. Do you realize that in Islamic countries, mission societies are tracking this? And there are, I, I have a friend that's planning churches in Iran. Iran, Iran. And they said that 70%, that's 70, 70% of the people coming to the Lord in Iran right now, and they said that they've been having an explosion of conversions, sometimes as many as seven to 10,000 in a month. Seventy percent of Muslims converting to Christianity, when they are presented with the gospel, they will say, "I know this man Jesus, I see him in my dreams." It's a phenomenon that's happening all over the world. Listen, if it's happening in closed-up Muslim nations, if it's happening in closed-up Hindu nations, if it's happening in closed-up Buddhist nations, how many believe God could cause that to happen here in the United States of America and God could send dreams to wake up the unrighteous? God can send dreams to get their attention and God can lead them into salvation. Come on, I was on the side of a soccer field one time with watching my son play soccer when he was little. And this lady comes over and she taps me on the shoulder and she goes, excuse me, are you Jane Hammond? 
And I said, uh, yes. And she goes, okay, well, I had this dream. Like, she didn't, like, lead in or anything. She just was, and I was like, whoa, 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 hang on. How do you know to come look for me and tell me your dream? And she said, well, I was in getting my hair done this last week, and I heard a couple of people that go to your church talking about how you understand dreams. So I call, so, so I asked them, how can I get through to her? And they gave me your home number. We, we had to have a talk about that. So I called your house, and one of your children told me you were here. Again, we had to have a little talk in our house about that. So I've been asking around, can I please tell you my dream? So I said, let me ask you a couple questions first. And I just wanted to see where she was at spiritually. She, did, she didn't have a clue about anything. She didn't know Jesus. She didn't have any religious background. She didn't know anything about anything. What did she know? She knew she had a dream that was bothering her, and she was looking for answers. There's a whole world of those people out there. And I'm just challenging you that in this Watchman season, people are gonna, out there are going to start having angelic visitations. They're going to start having dreams. They're going to start having visions. And guess what? They're going to come looking for you to help them. So as much as I'm challenging you, press into prayer. We better get studying. We better get equipped. We better get ready for what the Lord is doing and saying because you're going to find yourself in places and you can't say, uh, you had a dream. Uh, let me call Jane Hammond and see if she can help me. I won't pick up the phone, okay? God needs us to be equipped. God's wanting us to be the Daniels and the Josephs. With that lady... As she, as she spoke, God just prophetically unfolded my, her life to me, and I just began to prophesy to her. I did not, like, put my hand on her head and start shaking her back and forth and saying, yea, thus saith the Lord. You don't have to do that out there, okay? But what I did say is I said, you know what? I believe God speaks, and I believe this is what God's trying to say to you and what God wants you to know. And as I began to speak to her with the heart of God, connecting that revelation into her eternity, her whole heart opened up. And I was able to lead her to Jesus that day, standing on the side of a soccer field. Because God gave her a dream that then I was positioned to interpret, which became the key that unlocked her heart. Can you see the time and the season that we're in? Cornelius had an angelic visitation that opened the door for the entire ministry to the Gentiles. Revival broke out among the Gentiles. And you know what? The Jews didn't like it. Matter of fact, Peter got called on the carpet to the elders in Jerusalem. What are you doing giving this gospel away to Gentiles? He got called on the carpet. Guess what, church? There's going to be some people that get saved and that get promoted. And if we're not careful, we're not going to like it. But we've got to start seeing through the eyes of the Spirit and understand the time and the season that we're in. All right. So it's a time of angelic, angelic visitation to bring harvest. Number five, it's the right time for your miracle. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John walking by the gate beautiful. We know the story, the lame man begging by the gate. And it says, in the ninth hour, they walked by the gate beautiful. Beautiful, that word beautiful literally means the right time. And the right season. People that have been contending for miracles for a very long time are going to get their miracle because it's the right time and the right season. 
There's a brother that was here today, and he said that the Lord spoke to him and said God's healing kidneys today. So if you need a healing in your kidney, just reach up right now and grab a hold of it because God's saying I'm healing kidneys today. Amen? It's a right time. It's a right season. It's a right hour for miracles. And I want to challenge all of you. It's not just pastors and leaders that get to lay hands on people to do miracles. I want to challenge you that it's all of us. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, you will cast out devils. When was the last time you cast out a devil? In my name, what's the second thing? You'll speak with new tongues. In my name, you'll take up serpents. That phrase, take up serpents, does not mean handle snakes. How many are glad of that? We live in Florida. I hate snakes. What, here's what it should translate. You shall take up and dispose of Satan himself. See, in that description that Jesus gave us, he was saying, I've given you the authority to dispose of Satan himself. You'll take up service. You'll eat anything deadly, and it will not harm you. This is what my husband prays when I cook. Not my gift, okay? Not my gift. I used to get so frustrated at Proverbs 31 because I wanted to be a Proverbs 31 woman. Except there's that part where she has to get up before the sun. A, that's not going to happen. B, she gets up before the sun to cook. That's not going to happen. And so I felt like, okay, I can never be a Proverbs 31 woman. But then one day I read this awesome verse that says she brings her food from afar. And I got the revelation that that's takeout, okay? I was so excited. I can be a virtuous woman, okay? Some of y'all won't remember anything else that I said, okay? <laughs> Eat anything deadly. You shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Who is this written to? Believers. It does not say believers will follow these signs. It says these signs shall follow believers. So what's following you? God's challenging us that it is the right time to begin to activate your miracle ministry. When you got filled with the Holy Ghost, God activated a miracle ministry. Number six, and this is the last one and we're going to close. It was at the ninth hour that Jesus hung on the cross. The time of the evening sacrifice. When the perfect spotless Lamb of God gave his life for us. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and said, it is finished. How many are glad he did not say, I am finished? He said, it is finished. And at that moment, he took a deep breath and gave up the ghost. And his physical body died. But I want you to know what happened simultaneously at the ninth hour is that the veil in the temple was split, torn from top to bottom. And we need to understand that we are currently in a church where there is no veil. There's a lot of people that still worship like there's a veil. They still worship as though we can't come into the Holy of Holies. Our worship leader, Dean Mitchum, has written a song, There Is No Veil. 
No partition. No hidden thing, no separation. That strikes a religious chord in some of you. But I want to remind you, Jesus destroyed the veil. Gave us full access to the heavenly realm. Dean actually wrote a song one time called Rocking in the Holy of Holies. Dancing around the throne. No more separation between my Lord and me. Come on, we got we to understand we're not living in a day of separation. We go back to an old Hebraic model, and we need to understand we are living in the New Testament church where the veil has been torn, and every time we put it back up, we're trying to tell Jesus, your sacrifice did not matter. God has given us free and open access by his blood, by the shedding of his blood, and torn the veil to give us access to the heavenly realm. So I want us to stand to our feet, and I'm going to pray for you.